37% of all money spent on digital advertising is through Google. That's over $100 billion a year spent globally through the Google platform. As you can see, Google's not a platform or a channel that you can afford to ignore with your business. But more importantly, there's no barrier to entry to advertise on Google. So any business, regardless of how small or how new, can open an account and be advertising on the world's biggest advertising platform within minutes. I'm Jared Doyle, and this is the Fractal Podcast, where I bring marketing experts from around the world to you to help you drive your marketing endeavors forward. Let's get into this week's show. So welcome to this week's episode, where we're going to be entirely focused on paid search. And when we talk about paid search, of course, we're talking about Google and AdWords because Google pretty much owns this market. And to help us get through this very important part of the marketing mix, we are joined by Stefan Horst, who is the CEO and co-founder of Symphonic Digital and a long-term friend of mine. So Stefan, welcome to my podcast. Thanks, George, for having me. Really quick background, Stefan and I work together in London with an agency, Reprise Media. Um, I hate to think how long ago that is now, but it was quite <laughs> some time ago. And we had some absolute brilliant times and we worked on a number of quite high profile pitches together. And um, I still have a very clear memory of looking across the Reprise Media office when Stefan got the phone call from Coca-Cola saying um, whether we'd want a pitch or not. And I watched his face and he turned around with two big thumbs up and to signal that we'd actually won the pitch for Coke. And <laughs> He'd led that and that that's etched in my memory. That's what I think of. When I imagine you, it's you on the phone with your thumbs up like, oh, we've won this. <laughs> we couldn't believe it. So that's that's our history. <laughs> so whenever you see a Coca-Cola ad that cut off sparks memory. I just I just have a mind's eye of your face grinning across that <laughs> London office. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that was a special moment. Many long nights laying out PowerPoint slides on the uh, boardroom table there. So good times, good experiences. And and what's great for everyone listening to this show is you couldn't ask for someone who's got more experience. Stefan has worked all around the world on huge brands in paid search, which is great because it means that experience is going to come to you through this podcast when we start talking about how we can possibly compete against these big brands. And that's where I want to get started. When I think about paid search and I think about where we've come from, working in agencies with hundreds of dedicated professionals working on paid search, working for brands like Coke, how is it going to be possible for a small business owner or a founder of a company to even try to compete with these companies? Have you got any tips about how they can do it? Well, I think that's a that's a really good question. Um, you know, for companies like Coca-Cola, they obviously have deep pockets and I wouldn't say that they're agency managers are not thinking about how to best invest their money, but they have other problems when it comes to how to set up campaigns. For someone who, who just starts out, for someone you know who doesn't have brand awareness and cannot rely on people coming into their website and, and buying products or requesting services through brand term, it really is about sitting down and, and thinking about you know what are the core areas that I can provide strong service or, or strong products in, and basically then looking at exactly what keywords are going to be best used to drive demand. That obviously is the first part, but what is, you know, from our perspective or from my perspective, uh, more important, what has become more important to really make sure that the ad copy that you um, use for keyword groups is even more tailored. And when I say more tailored, I'm really thinking about that 
purchase funnel. You know, you have keywords that are more uh, upper funnel keywords and your ad copy needs to reflect that part. I always say, you know, when, when you go on a first date with someone and you are completely smitten with that person and at the end of the day, you're not going down on one knee and saying, will you marry me? <laughs> I hope not anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, there might be a one in a thousand chance to, to actually get a yes, but in 999 times, you will get most likely a no and you will not see the person again. And it's a little bit like that. So if you have keywords that are upper funnel keyword, you don't hit them with buy our products. They don't know you. They don't have any relation to you or buy your products or get your services. You need to ease them into getting to know you. So you want to have ad copies that draw them in and basically help you to introduce your company, your product, your services. And the further you then go down the funnel and keywords change, you then adjust the ad copy depending on where you are. When people are in the mid funnel, so when they compare uh, information, your ad copy needs to reflect it. And obviously, when you're lower funnel, you need to make sure that you have a sales message. Makes a lot of sense. You know, it can be quite daunting to start thinking about keywords at different stages of a buying cycle and creating funnels. If if I wanted to just get started, would you recommend that I, as a, as a founder of a startup, start at the top awareness and try to build some awareness through search? Or would you suggest that we start sort of with the buying terms and try to convert people as quickly as possible? You know what? My opinion is it really depends on the product you have. If you have a product, a service that that is hot in the market, you know, maybe you do a Me Too product, you know, you might actually be successful to go down in the bottom funnel because there's already demand for those kind of products or services. However, if you have a product, a service that is completely new to the market, that, that needs explanation, that needs introduction, you will have to go up in the funnel and you will have to introduce people to um, what that is. It's a good example. We're, we're currently working with a company here in the U.S., who wants to offer a new experience on how to, you know, how to test drive cars. And that suggestion how to do that is so new, so different to what the market currently does that they tried in the beginning to really hit people with a hammer over the head and said, sign up, do this. And it didn't work. So we actually went up the funnel. We explained that service, how it works, what uh, what the ins and outs are, and basically answered people's questions. So we anticipate those questions. And by doing so, we, we got an understanding in the market to how uh, that service works. And then we saw people coming down the funnel and were able to pick them up you know, in the lower part of the funnel and convert them. So really, the bottom line is I think it depends on the product you have. If you have a product that has already uh, requests in the market, and you have a maybe a price advantage or you're better, you know, I would cover the lower funnel. Um, if you have a product that does not fulfill that or that is new, you will have to go up in the funnel and we'll have to start there. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think for a lot of, if you're a true startup and you've got something that's it's actually innovative, I like the idea of starting top of the funnel, finding associated questions and demand that you can relate your product to and getting that first level of engagement, satisfy the question. And then I guess in my head, what I imagine doing is search could be a really good top of the funnel driver. So you start getting that engagement through to your website and then potentially you could marry this up beautifully with Facebook and retargeting on social media networks rather than just search. So you're kind of combining two different channels there. Search to drive that awareness piece really early on where you can identify some demand um, and it might be quite generic, but then you can use Facebook, you know, retargeting pixels to actually, you know, hit the person with the message and move them further down that funnel. 
So yeah, it's an interesting strategy. I think it would work quite well. Yeah, I think your, your, your comment on the Facebook side is, is, is spot on. Um, although we start talk about search here, I, I think thinking about the entire funnel and not only about one channel, but looking at how can I re-engage with that person. And you can obviously do retargeting on Google too, but you know, from my experience, it doesn't work as good as retargeting on Facebook. Yeah, it's an area where Facebook is particularly strong. And when you say retargeting on Google, are you talking the ad network, YouTube, retargeting list? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, the display network, so the Google display network, um, pretty much doing the same thing you would do on, on, on Facebook. You know, you, you obviously tag your website with the Google tag, and then you, you re-engage with people that been to either a specific site or to the website overall and, and provide a message that leads them down the funnel. And if, and if your content is, you know, happens to be hosted on YouTube and you're producing lots of videos, well, then using YouTube and retargeting through Google that way is a logical way. So, yeah, your point, yeah, exactly right. You know, pick what's right for your content and your funnel and <laughs> you want your messages and combine it. And if, yeah, if we blend the channels, we're probably going to have a better chance. I'm curious to find out a little bit around what you're seeing sort of hot right now in search. I mean, it's been quite a number of years since I've really been dropped into search. So is there an area at the moment that search marketers are really talking about and, and testing? You know, I think Google, as they do constantly, is at the moment making quite a number of changes to what information they are going to share and, and, and how their system in general works. I think, you know, before we jump on a call, I talked about that we've seen uh, a situation where brand terms that, you know, five, 10 years ago, we were able to buy for a cent, maximum 10 cents, that were uncompeted. So where competitors were not trying to advertise against brand terms, they were very low from a cost per click perspective. You know, Nowadays, we see brand terms where brand terms are not uh, contested or where competitors are not bidding on them. They're going up 50, 60, 70 cents. There's a huge problem that comes from that situation. Um, back in the days, we talked about, you know, we were able to subsidize generic keywords who in general are more expensive through branded conversions. That these days is, is, is hard to do if you pay for for brand click 50, 60 uh, dollar cents or, you know, Australian dollar. That is a big thing. There's a big conversation uh, in the market where, where people are talking about why that is. Google can't really give you an answer. It's just the system that does it. And that's a general answer you would get from Google. So that's that's Dave, basically one, one topic. There obviously have been massive changes on um, how many headlines you have and, and, and ad copy lines you have. Um, you know, back in the days, it was very easy. You had a, you had a title that had 25 characters, and then you had two description lines, and that's it. And nowadays, that has increased, I think, to three lines. And what Google has done there, obviously, is to, to look at how can ads make a bigger impact um, and, and can provide more information to people that are looking for specific information. Yeah, I've noticed that as well. Yeah, it's, it's that creep of how much real estate is are the ads going to take on a search engine result page. And you just it's just natural. If you want to just bump your stock price up a little bit, make a little bit more revenue, just grab an extra couple of percent of real estate on that really valuable Google search results page. And sure enough, more money goes through AdWords. <laughs> I can't say I would do it any differently if I was Google. Look, you, <laughs> they're in the market to make, uh, you know, to, to make money, you know, at the end of the day. And also, obviously, you know, a couple of years back, they took out the right-hand side uh, for ads um, when we only had, I think, two 
um, two ad listings on top of the natural search. And that all moved now over to the center where you have a maximum of four listings on top, which will put obviously all the natural search results and, you know, the Google Maps and, and, and some Twitter um, listings out of the way. Um, and therefore, you know, when you come to a Google search result page nowadays, you don't necessarily immediately see natural search results anymore unless a keyword you're using is not been on by a company. Yeah, and I guess it, it makes it also really important, you know, as we both remember a time when you can kind of get 10 ads on that front page. If there's only going to be two or three ads, the importance of being the top-ranked keyword or the, the ad bearing in the position one or two now must be even more important than it's ever been. Again, I mean, you know, we're, we're obviously talking, your audience are startups. And when when you have a startup, you know, you either are really well-funded and you have a lot of money and you want to make a big impact in the market quickly and then you want to push your position one, two, two to push the guys that, that previously were the, the placeholders out of the way and, and pick up as much as possible of the real estate, not necessarily thinking so much about how much is it going to cost you, that individual conversion. When you have startups on the other end of the spectrum that are self-funded or have limited funds, you know, it might not be required to be necessarily on position one. You might be going okay with being on position two and three. And what you're going to do is you look at, again, ad copies. What are your competitors talking about? How are their ad copies designed? And you find a way to make your ad copies stand out, either through different wording, uh, through calling out certain things they might not call out, but you know that your audience is really interested in that. So it doesn't have to be position one. Position one does not necessarily mean you are going to be going to have the best results. And if you're on two and three uh, or even four, um, you're going to fail. I think it's, again, it's a situation thing um, that kind of should drive that. And, you know, for every company, there are certain terms where you just want to be front and center. But in general, I think looking at where you are from a company perspective, what your financial uh, capabilities are, that should also drive your decision on whether you be aggressive or, you know, more What's the word? Resolved in your position in the world. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I was just going to connect that, you know, competing with other people and what we spoke about before with brand search. If I'm an innovative startup company and there's an existing player in the marketplace, how would I, if I wanted to, how would I go about bidding on their brand? And, and it's a slightly risky strategy, right? Or is it is there a formula I could possibly follow to get the best chance of succeeding there? Well, I mean... <sighs> You know, the, the question is how big is your competitor and how much money do they have? Um, if, if, if you start bidding on your competitor, you have to be prepared that they do exactly the same thing, which can become a problem, right? If, if they have a strong market share already, they might just push you out by bidding on you because the people that search for your brand terms might be tempted to go to the market leader. You know, they might not be necessarily interested in the fact that you have a few more features available than the competitor. So that's that's always a risk that uh, that a new player that comes into the market has. In general, I mean, you you book the the brand terms of your competitor in the different forms of spelling. Um, you use their URL in, in, in some other words. And then you basically um, design an ad copy that aims at, um, and, I, and I know I talk a lot about ad copy, but <laughs> for me, ad copies is like the window when you go shopping with your wife, right? That's what draws the wife or what draws you into a store. And the ad copy is exactly that. Um, if you want to 
do competitive bidding, you need to have an ad copy that stands out and that make people think about whether they click on the position one, uh, on the one that is there already, or they click on on yours. A good good example is I read an article yesterday, and I'm sure that's in Australia too. Obviously, there are a lot of companies nowadays that that, that sell mattresses, uh, home delivered mattresses, so you don't have to go into a store to get your mattress. In Australia, we've got koala and sleeping duck. I don't know why we like animals and mattresses, but apparently <laughs> they're, they're, they're the two. There you go. So here in the US, I, I I think there are at least 10 companies. And I read an article yesterday, there's a company called Tough and Needle. And they basically do competitive bidding against all the others in what they say in their ad copy is something like, don't spend all the money on ABC. Um, try our mattresses. They are much better and they're much cheaper. They are bold in their communication. But you know what? Sometimes you have to be bold to generate interest and to to get someone to click on your ad and get them to your site. Yeah, I like that idea, actually. If someone else is making a market, you can potentially just bid on their brand terms, be quite explicit in the fact that you're different, explain what it is and and get that trial. So um, the other company has done all the hard work. You know, Someone big like Casper or Koala has done all the work building the interest and the engagement and right at the point where they're at the bottom of the funnel thinking about making that purchase jump in, undercut them on price, put a put an interesting twist on it and and snafu the customer. I like that as a strategy. It's a bit it's a bit evil, but um yeah. yeah. Hey, you know what? Sometimes you have to be a little bit broke, you know. And what I probably also would say is you don't necessarily have to be position one. And again, it's something I said a second ago. You might be totally fine with being on position two and and, and paying them the min CPC, you know, but your ad copy might make all the difference. Yeah. I think if someone's listening to this and they're not they haven't really been running AdWords before. They might get a little bit confused around, we're talking here about bidding and ranking and how these things rank. It might be good just if you could give, and I know you've done this a thousand times in your life, but a really quick explanation to exactly how some ads or how Google ranks um, the ads in AdWords. Oh boy, there's a long version and I will stick to the short version because... (laughs) (laughs) So, again, and back in the day, it was very easy. You, you, You paid a CPC and the person who paid more would get... The top spot and then depending on how much you you basically were willing to pay for a keyword you would follow suit um, these days um, it, it unfortunately is a little bit of a black box approach that determines what what your CPC is and, and what position you at the end of the day are going to have uh, in the Google paid search um, results um, it's things like what is your CTR you know, so what is the click-through rate? So the people that 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 see you at and then click through, how many are those? Um, it's the CPC, the max CPC. So how much are you willing to bid uh, for a specific keyword? You know, some people put in a hundred dollars. They will not pay a hundred dollars, but they they indicate to Google we're willing to pay a lot to be on position one. Google takes all those information and, and puts them together in this black box, and then basically, depending on 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 that, decides what position you're on. But you can be, you know, the system tells you what the minimum CPC at the end of the day is that you have to bid to reappear. And if there's only a competitor and you that would be in a marketplace, you know, if you bid on the minimum CPC, let's say minimum CPC is 20 cents and that's what you bid, you're not going to jump the brand holder, but you will be on position two right behind that brand holder. 
it's it's always been a difficult one in search engine marketing. He hasn't it to explain this because faith, Facebook and Google both are in this privileged position where they own the audience. They're not transparent about exactly what you're buying and how much you're paying. And they can get away with it because they own the entire market. So it's always been a tough one to explain to clients or anyone you're advising because they how do you not know what you're paying? And it's just, well, it's just the way they run their business. And obviously everything changes. You know, I mean, there's no week when there are no changes on Google side, whether, as we said earlier, on specific functions or what data you can pull, you know, so it's, it's, it's frequently changing. And, and it can be daunting. And, and so if I'm, if you know, if there's a founder or an owner of a company listening to this and they're starting to get an idea that there's a lot more to search than they thought about. And they think, actually, you know what I want to do is I want to hire an agency. I'm always keen to hear from the inside the kind of questions that you could ask somebody. So if they want to hire a professional, an agency, a contractor, whoever it happens to be, um, what's, the, what's a couple of questions they could ask that's going to you know, sort the, uh, the, the good search professionals from the, the cowboys that have just turned up recently? I wonder if you can give us a couple of like curly questions that we could ask people. Oh, wow. No, you threw me a curveball here. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, what question do you not want to? No, no. It should be one that if you know, if you get the question, you can give a good answer. Um, and hopefully you're able to demonstrate that you really know what you're talking about. If I look at it more from, from an employment perspective, you know, when I, when I interview people um, to bring on board as, as paid search people, you know, there, there are questions that are basic questions. Do they know? you know, what match types are. So whether a keyword appears against a broad number of terms or um, just a specific keyword that was typed in, that definitely is is one information. I always ask them what their process is if they have an account with a small budget compared to a large budget. The reason why I ask that is, you know, if you have a small budget, it doesn't make sense to create so many campaigns. And that might, you know, what I'm saying now might, overwhelm some people because they say what do you mean with campaigns um you know the google system the paid system is broken out into campaigns which is the top level ad groups are underneath that so one campaign could have several ad groups and within ad groups are keywords so if you have limited number uh, limited budget you know you you wouldn't create too many campaigns because you need to break that budget you have over several campaigns and you might not get enough enough information to optimize while when you have a lot of budget it's not a problem to have several campaigns so i always ask them what is your approach with small accounts with small budgets and and with accounts with big budgets and their answers they already kind of give me an indication of if they understand the differences between small and large clients i always want to know what is their optimization approach as i said a second ago data is really important if you um, have a smaller account with small budget. It might take you a little bit longer to collect enough data to make optimization decision. While when you have more budget, you collect more data, and therefore you can make decisions quicker. You hear quite often people that say, "Hey, I'm launching campaign, and next day I start optimization." And that doesn't necessarily make sense because you know you have data for one day. That's not an indication to how an account works. Yes. There might be some keywords that are just going crazy and you want to correct them, pause them, or you know, bring them in. But in general, you know, you want to wait week to two weeks and then analyze the campaign and do the optimization. Wait another two weeks to do the same thing again and, and maybe do a third round till you have kind of brought the campaign to a point where you then start A-B testing. So 
talking to them about and finding out what their optimization approach is, 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 is really important. You know, how do they structure ad groups? You know, Google best practice and, and, you know, they have a lot of best practice, but I think that's a good one is, you know, don't have more than 10, 15 keywords in an ad group. The reason why, uh, because then you can write really tailored ad copies if you have 30, 40, 50 keywords in an ad group, the likelihood of them all being about the same theme is very small, which means your ad copy will be very generic, which means you're not going to have that much of a success in getting people onto your site. So, I mean, those those are those are a few questions. Jared, I don't know if, if you have some others where you're like, you know what, these are the ones I actually ask. Look, I think the first one is the most important because when you talk about the different types of keyword matching, if they haven't got that, you can pretty much throw them out of the room straight away. <laughs> um, for people who are listening, um, it's a simple question, but it's actually a good one for you to get your head around. So what uh, Stefan was talking about there was the different types of search keyword matching types. And, and what that means is there's broad matching, there's phrase matching, there's exact matching and broad modified. Have I got that right? Yeah. So. Yep. And, and each of these, so not only do you have to pick a keyword or a search phrase that you want to bid on, you've also got to pick the type of bid. And so a broad match means that when you match, you put a, a search phrase in, it doesn't matter what order those words appear in and what other words are around that, your ads will appear for it. Whereas a phrase match says, the exact keywords that you search for, so it might be new running shoes, it has to appear as new running shoes. It can't be new shoes running um, with a phrase match because your ad won't appear. But you can have other things. So it could be cheap new running shoes. So phrase match allows you to have extra keywords around it. Whereas an exact match actually says it has to be exactly the search phrase that you've typed. If you've got new running shoes and that's your search phrase and you've set it to an exact, it has to be an exact match. That explanation is not perfect, but it's really good to study up on that and get your head around it because yeah, if you're asking a search professional and they can't explain it clearly and I've just done a terrible job, so that's not good for me either. Um, and I do like your advice to around that optimization because you know it, it's your natural instinct is to start optimizing after the first click, but you know, Google wouldn't have even registered a quality score for most of your keywords. So you know, even Google hasn't decided you know, where you should be ranking and what should be happening yet. So you've got to give yourself a bit of time. Google and Facebook both have their internal metrics where they give you a, a rating to say how relevant they think your landing page and your copy experience is relative to that keyword. Is it one to five or is it one to 10? I can never remember that. It's one to 10 actually. And, um, you know, as, as, as we brought it up, so what quality score at the end of the day means is, is it's, it's a number that outlines how well um, a search term matches to the ad copy it is associated to and whether that search term is also visible or used on the landing page or what google wants to do by by you know defining a quality score is the relevance of a search query to the landing page because they want to give people the best experience they want to ensure that people that that search for information and when they click on a website they find exactly what they're looking for so when you have a high quality score of 10 it basically means you've done everything right if you have one you better start improving the the kick out the kick out on this is this if your quality score is seven you are at a neutral place google doesn't give you a penalty and you won't get a discount. If you move up from eight or from seven, so eight, nine, and ten, you actually get a discount. So your click price gets cheaper. So you get get kind of a good job from Google. If your quality score is below seven, so six and further down, you actually get a penalty. 
and um, which means that your CPC will be higher. Um, it could be that you know you paying for the same keyword five six dollars, and someone else who has you know a high quality score above seven might pay only two dollars or even less. Therefore, it's really important that you know when you decide to either yourself build a search campaign or you have someone that you hire. Um, that you work together and ensure that the landing page environment where you send people to is, is, is kind of reflects the search queries that are within an ad group. That gives you the best chance of, of achieving a higher quality score. And obviously, the, the search query needs to also be in the ad copy. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I'd love you to um, gaze into your crystal ball. I mean, you've got, you can go back over a lot of history and you've seen search evolve over many, many years. Where do you think the next step in search engine marketing is on the on the paid side. What, what do you think is going to evolve over sort of this year and maybe into next year? That's a good question. I mean, you know, search has over the years improved so much from the very basic, like we bid on one keyword and, and, and pay exactly the CPC um, to, you know, nowadays you have in-market audience. What that means is if you are a car dealership or, you know, you're thinking about, um, you know, buying a car dealership, founding a car dealership, um, and you want to start advertising, you can actually get access to people that are in market to buy a car within the next, I think it's three months, if I'm thinking it correctly. That wasn't available several years ago. Um, it's not new, new, but it kind of shows you how Google continuously improves or gives you more options to be more precise with your with your search and, and to be able to reach the people that um, that you are looking for. Look, I totally agree. I think Google will start to incorporate more data into what they do in their search results and they'll start to make smarter suggestions. And instead of people like, casually typing in, you know, they'll split people, like you said, with car dealerships. And so say these people are just looking at cars, but these people are buying cars and they're two different audiences. And that's not going to be explicit in the search. It could be exactly the same search query, but it'll be Google saying, hey, there's two different audiences here. You don't need to know how we know it. We just know everything. So we'll we'll split it up for you. I think that's a I think that's a solid call for the next maybe two or three years with Google and what they're going to do. Yeah, and I think what you said in regards to data, I think that's a that's a great point. I mean, you know, there's a lot of talk about data intelligence and AI, etc. And I think as a company that has so many data points, I'm I'm, I'm more than convinced that those data points will make their way into paid search, which will allow to be even more targeted you know, when running paid search campaigns, because that's what the market wants. And I think that's where the market is heading. Yeah. And we've got Facebook front running on the data side of things. So Google, Google for once can be a little bit slower on it and maybe let Facebook take all the privacy bullets and they'll just sort of trickle in behind it and probably come with a solution that everyone accepts. Exactly. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for your time. You're based on the, if I'm correct, the West Coast of the US. Yeah, that's correct. Do you work with clients just on the West Coast or all of the US or globally? Does it matter to you? Honestly, it doesn't matter to you because we're a virtual agency. Um, you know, we, we, have, we have some clients in Europe. If there's a client that thinks we, we can help them and, and we think we can help that company, um, I don't think, uh, you know, the location uh, is, is a big, you know, roadblock uh, in these days. No, I don't think it should be. So if there is someone out there and they kind of want to get in contact or just sort of follow what you're doing, what's the best way to, to get in contact with you? Yeah, so, I mean, just go to our website, www.symphonicdigital.com. Um, you'll find a contact page there. Leave your information and um, we will reach out to you. Or you can also send me an email, which is Stefan, and it spells 
S-T-E-F-F-E-N at symphonicdigital.com. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for your time today. It's been great catching up with you. It's it's been way too long since we've spoken. So we'll we need to exactly. we need to speak other than just um on podcasts. But thank you for your time today. And um and thank you for sharing all those insights with everyone who's listening. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Jared. 